Today, I'd like you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Whether you have a physical Bible or you're going to turn on your device, we're going to look at Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 and 47. But as we do, I come to you with a confession today. Uh, preaching on this passage seems out of place to me right now. Because here I am right now, I'm, I'm preaching. I, I know I'm preaching to this gathered community, but I'm preaching to my phone in a near-empty sanctuary. There are three people here today. Uh, I'm preaching from a passage about the very thing that we are right now prevented from, properly so, rightfully so, from doing, which is physically gathering. And so I confess to you that there's definitely some equilibrium, if you will, occurring within me. Uh, but you might ask, why, why then do you preach on this text right now? Why not wait until the time comes when once again we're gathered? Well, perhaps, perhaps it's because we have temporarily lost the opportunity to physically gather that this passage needs to be preached. While we are longing for the time when we gather, which is going to be a while, perhaps this passage carries more weight for us. I pray that it does. And so I want you today to join me in asking God to speak to us as his people. Lord, open up our understanding of this passage from Acts chapter 2 that will help us today be the people of God you want us to be right now. In Christ's name, amen. We are Easter people. That is why we worship on Sundays, the first day of the week. Nothing is more formative in the life of those who call themselves the church than the historical reality of that first Easter Sunday. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. We believe in that. Even the fact that Christ rose bodily reminds us of, of these precious gifts God has given to us as bodies. And actually, that's part of the reason why we struggle in our separation. But what difference does this make? What difference does it make that we believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ? Well, Robert Weber said this, In our worship, we must be careful not to reduce our message to the Easter fact only. The Easter fact must include the message that the fact proclaims, which is, we have been raised with Christ. It calls God's people to die to sin and rise to the new life central not only to the Easter day, but to the Easter season. In fact, I would say to life itself. Central to life is putting flesh and bone and breath and life to our belief in the resurrection. This morning, we look at a portrait of an Easter people, if you will. Uh, what is an Easter people? People who have not only believed in the fact of the resurrection, but who have been captured by the life of the resurrection. People who have determined to practice resurrection. Why is that? Because they have been captivated by new life. I hope you've been captivated by the new life that Jesus Christ brings. You see, these people are now in possession of a new way of seeing the world. Now, if you remember when we looked back at Easter when we were in that cemetery together, we said that the rules of life and death have been rewritten. And that means those who take the fact of the resurrection seriously, who embed it into the fiber of their lives, well, they view and live life differently. 
Now, when we go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, we have to recognize that these disciples, it's only been about eight weeks since Jesus rose from the grave. So, so these folks right now are coming out of something of a stay-at-home order, if you will, that Jesus imposed on them. We find it in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. He said to them, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. And that's what we see here. They've been, they've been hunkering down and now they're, they're coming out now. They're starting to gather again. So as we wait to be present together, perhaps we can learn something from this newly gathered community, community about what really matters as a church. Let's look at the words together. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What an exciting time this must have been for these people. There are, there are signs and wonders that are going on. They're, they're gathered together. New people are joining them day, every day, every day. The word of resurrection is spreading like wildfire. That's what's happening. And here's the deal. It cannot be contained just like it cannot be contained right now. The resurrected king is not subject to a stay-at-home order. And so he is working. He is moving. He is, he is moving through this medium and others and the way we're touching one another and touching our world. He is working. You see, when we look at this passage, something is happening and something happens to the people who see Jesus. Now, I know that sometimes we reduce Easter down to making a personal profession of faith that secures our eternal safety. And that's a small part of it, I think. But you see, something else we see happening here, one of the immediate effects of seeing Jesus is that we become part of a community of people who now live as Easter people. Bands of people gathering together. These people are now forming these communities. And we watch as the church is being born. And as we stand as witnesses to history, we see that their gathering has a specific kind of character to it. And we must see it. Their gathering is not about the church being a dispenser of religious goods and services, meeting my spiritual needs or following my agenda. No, that's, that's not at all. Nothing hinders the church more than when we begin to believe that the church exists for me. That's not what we find here. Instead, we witness a church that is alive with the life of God. And that life is reflected in their very real lives in very real ways. Let's see what we can discover briefly. First, notice this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And that's a constant theme through this passage. In fact, through the entire book of Acts, they loved being together. They could not get enough of each other. Being gathered in community mattered to them. Sharing life mattered to them. The word used for common there, everything being held in common, 
is the same, uh, it's the root of the word koinonia. Now, many of us know that word. It's actually in verse 42, translated in the word fellowship. Uh, it suggests that which is not holy, but ordinary. This interesting, interesting view of them bringing all of their ordinary life together. And by doing that, they made the ordinary sacred in sharing real life together with real issues and real desires and real needs and bringing all of that together to and with Jesus. This shared life was the priority of their social lives. Now, obviously, the circumstances they functioned under were quite different. And really, their social realities were probably in many ways more limited than what we normally experience. But I wonder about now as we're experiencing these days, have the limitations we face in this COVID-19 season not stirred within you a recognition of the necessity to be together as people, uh, to be a gathered church? Isn't our social distancing most difficult because we are actually made, we are actually wired to share the sacred ordinary together. And what about when these limitations are removed? What then? What will we do to share life together? Now, let me just let you know, I am so grateful for the technology that has allowed us to remain connected and to continue our mission of sharing God's hope wherever we find ourselves even on Facebook Live and Instagram and Zoom. Because of it, we are gathered. We are a distributed people. We are a dispersed people. But we are a gathered people in the middle of our distribution, if you will. But, but all of that wonderful technology does not replace the contact sport of the gathered people of God. The people committed to making the ordinary sacred by sharing life. I mean, they were devoted in it. Life together is what they chose. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, there's that word koinonia, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were, they were committed to being a learning community. They were committed to being in support of one another. They were committed to, to having meals together, sharing life together. They were committed to be a people of prayer. And if we need to be a people of prayer at any time, this is that time. They were committed to all of that. And verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They were committed to being a worshiping people. But here's something I think we need to notice about them. What's behind all of this? Their fellowship was marked by gladness and generosity of spirit. Table fellowship was important. A spiritual food was a priority. They were committed to praying they needed to have that. But you know what was lying underneath all of that was their sheer gladness at being Easter people. Their sheer gladness at being people who were forever changed by the living Jesus. And out of that gladness, out of their gladness in that came this generosity of spirit, a generosity of life. And that causes me to ask a question. Does your gladness in following Jesus translate to a generosity of life toward others? Does that translate in my life as well? So we, we look at this group, we look at this passage, and as we do, you need to catch it. 
their focus was not on themselves. And here's why. They were too busy worshiping Jesus and caring for others sacrificially to get focus on themselves. Now, we fast forward in the Bible. We go down the road and Acts a little more, and we do see instances where the church struggled with the same things we struggle at when it comes to being selfish and self-focused and all those kind of things. But right here at this beginning place, we see something that's critical, that they were so concerned with, they were so caught up in worshiping Jesus and caring for others sacrificially, they didn't have time to think about themselves. In the middle of this passage, though, we find ourselves presented with a problem when we start talking about this. We're faced with words that we easily rationalize and contextualize away. Words we're tempted to dismiss. Are you ready? Here they come. We go back to verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What did you say, Pastor? Yes, that's there. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Maybe we are tempted to dismiss those words. And we're tempted to do so maybe by saying something like this. Well, that was a different time. That was then, right? We may say that this is now. Others may say this. Well, you know, we need to be careful. That sounds an awful lot like socialism. And we just dismiss those words. And maybe the easiest excuse is this. Well, that is unrealistic in our day. But I wonder if we need to ask the question, why? Why is that unrealistic in our day? Because you see, here's the problem this presents for me. There are those words sitting in the inspired word of God. There they are. They are either the inspired word of God or they are not. And why are they there then? And what do I need to do with them? And not just here, but all through the New Testament, we see this call that's placed on the resurrection people to this generosity of life, especially with the resources we can touch and feel and spend and hoard. Has there ever been a more needful time than this day right now for the church today to be the Easter people at this point, to be this Easter people with this generosity of life? As people are facing great loss and need and, and, and job reduction and all the things that are going on, has there ever been a greater time for us to be a people of generosity of spirit? You know, this week I received a message from someone who lives on a fixed income. They received their stimulus check, as many of you probably have now. And you know what they asked? This was their message. It was a question. Is there a special need we can give to. Isn't that amazing? Someone who's living on a fixed income asking me that question wanted to use a portion of their stimulus check for a, a special need somewhere in our community, in our world, in our church. Is there a special need? Now, why did they ask that? Because they live out of the generosity of the grace of God that the living Christ has given to them rather than from a scarcity mentality. They live with a generosity of spirit. And, and that generosity of spirit, that picture, that's why contributing to ends, ending 68 hours of hunger matters. That's why we've been talking about that, because, because that makes a difference in our world, this generosity of spirit. 
That's why our good SAM fund matters. That's why finding ways to still give to the needs of others matters. And there's all kinds of creative ways to do that. We have some children in our church who have been drawing pictures and then they've been making sure they get them to people. Some of them getting to some of our senior adults, some of those getting to people who've just been inside too long and they just need something refreshing from those children. Isn't that awesome? Um, don't tell too many people this, but I know someone who has been on a mission to deliver baklava to people. They brought, a, brought some baklava to one of the people in our congregation, and that person said, I love my church family. Amazing how transformative baklava can be. And, and don't tell anybody, but somehow Pastor Jeff ended up with some of that baklava too. And so that was, when that came down my driveway, it, it was great for my stomach, but no, maybe not. But it was especially great for my spirit, as their generosity of spirit was given to me. There's something about this generosity of spirit. That's even why practicing social distancing and stay-at-home practices for the sake of the vulnerable among us matters, so that we can generously be inconvenienced for the sake of someone else, especially those who are the weakest among us. And that's why we need to figure out ways to be of generous of spirit, to give one another more and more grace as we walk through these difficult days. You know, a few weeks ago, I came across a quote on my Twitter feed that attributed a sermon to Pope Francis. And in, in that quote, he is spot on when he says this, selfish indifference is a worse crisis than the pandemic. Selfish indifference is a worse crisis than the pandemic. And then he said, let us learn from the first Christian community. This is not ideology. It is Christianity. What a statement. This is not ideology, it is Christianity. And it makes me wonder something, it challenges me. And it, it, makes, it makes me ask the question, you know, what must be different in my life? What must be different in my life to reflect this Easter reality? What must be different in your life, in our life as the church? Do you ever wonder that same thing? What must be different in my life to practice this generosity of life and spirit? to be the Easter people. But then look what happens as they're doing this out of their generous lives, fueled by their glad, glad hearts. It says the church was enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know what happened? They enhanced God's reputation in the community. The Common English Bible, I think, catches what is happening. It says they praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. You know, it's reminiscent to me of the words of Jesus himself, isn't it? Remember, he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think these disciples took Jesus at his word, don't you? This is what it says in the message paraphrase. Shine, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Could it be that as we truly live in relationship with the living God, our lives by the power of his generous grace given to us become avenues through which others would become open to God? Do you know that's happening in these days right now? There are people who express to us that they are becoming more open to God because of the way the church, people in the church have loved them and treated them. They're becoming more open to God. And I wonder... 
can God be possibly, do you think, I think, that he's redeeming this time? He's turning it from pandemic time to God time in this way? That this may be a God-given moment for us to show the world the winsome beauty of Christ in revealing his goodness? How are you revealing the goodness of God in this age of pandemic? I was praying for one of my family members this week, lifting them to the Lord, asking God to touch them. And as I was praying for them, the Lord brought to my mind Psalm 27, verse 13. And I began to pray, Lord, that they would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I began praying that for them. Psalm 27, 13 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And as I began thinking about that, a thought struck me. So how are they going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? How are you going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? How is our world going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? A land where pandemics disrupt and kill. A land where self-preservation too often supplants self-sacrifice. It's our land. A land where the church is, we're too often known for what we're against instead of the God, the, the generous grace-giving God that we are for. How will we see the goodness of God in the land of the living? And then this thought struck me. What if I am the goodness of God in the land of the living? What if you are the goodness of God in the land of the living? The greatest evidence of the reality of the resurrection was the generous lives that they lived. Embracing a Christ-centered, others-oriented life is exhibit number one in the evidence that something substantial happened in their lives and it's evidence that something substantial happens in our lives as a result of the resurrection of Christ. Could this be the greatest of the signs and wonders that are listed in Acts chapter 2 when they say that there were signs and wonders and people were flocking? Could it be this was the greatest sign and wonder. Could it be this is what God wants for your life and mine, that, that we become proof texts of the substantial difference the resurrection has made in our lives, the living Christ has made? I wonder if sometimes we are so busy looking for the impressive, the fantastic, the alluring and the spectacular, the relevant, the entertaining, uh, the attractive, the coolness of God, that when perhaps the most profound and pronounced demonstration of his resurrection life is how we treat one another, how we serve others, how we sacrifice for others, how we put others before ourselves. You know, I, I know that the natural, the natural reaction to times like this, these days we're in, is to look out for number one. That's the natural reaction, but the natural response of true Easter people is different. So is it any wonder that daily people began to flock? They began to believe. They began to become open to the living Christ. Why? Because they saw Jesus in those people who had seen Jesus. They saw Jesus in those people who believed in Jesus. They saw Jesus in those people who believed in the resurrection. I think that's an important takeaway in, from these days that we gather in, in social distancing. 
that, that when we once again are physically gathered, the first question we may need to ask is not, what do I want for myself? What is this going to do for me? But how can I give of myself? But you see, that isn't a question we need to wait until we're gathered for. That is a good question right now while we can't gather. As someone else said, the resurrection community should be perceptible. What people see in us should rise up in them a spirit of hope and goodness. Just imagine if we in the church would be known for the goodwill we foster in our community because of the way we live as those who have seen Jesus, as the Easter people. I wonder if people would write letters about us the way Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When he said this, and you just replace your name in the place of the personal pronoun you. He says, you show that you are a letter from Christ. What if we wrote it this way? Jeff shows that he's a letter from Christ. Bill shows he's a letter from Christ. Kathy shows she's a letter from Christ. Kathleen shows she's a letter from Christ. Adam shows he's a letter from Christ. Carrie shows. John shows. Jim shows. That you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, that we, our very lives, become a letter of the truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and that he brings hope and grace, this generous grace from our loving God, and we become letters written to the world, that it is all true. It's a winsome picture, isn't it? And in truth, these days offer us the greatest opportunity to reveal that we are indeed people who reflect the living Christ. People who have been changed by the resurrection. People who just cannot contain it because we know he is living. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We know that he walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us he is our own. Let us be those people. There's a lot riding on that. To be a church filled with people who really have seen Jesus. Let's be that church. But let's not wait until we gather. Let's be that people now. And let's be that people wherever we find ourselves. Amen. What a word for us this morning that we find from the book of Acts reminding us that we're those people. But we are those people because of what Jesus has done for us. And so now as we transition to sharing the Lord's Supper together, if you want to get those elements together, let's consider what this text says to us. It does say to us, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And today we're going to break bread together as you are there in your household and I'm here in the corner of our sanctuary. We are going to break bread with glad and sincere hearts. It was the gladness and sincerity that marked those times at the table of fellowship. For us this morning, though separated by distance, we join together in the power and the presence of the Spirit of the living Christ, and we too bring our glad and sincere hearts to the table. As we do, we're reminded that Jesus demonstrated for us the ethic of life for the Easter people. It's a call of generous sacrifice, for the other. And so this table today reminds us, it calls us to do the same thing. This table calls us to make the ordinary sacred in generously giving our lives to one another and to the world out of our gladness for how the living Christ has changed our lives.
So with that in mind, this table serves as a reminder for us of the grace of God in the life of Jesus, very present for each one of us today as we place our faith in him. We are reminded that on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks to the Father and he broke it. And he gave the bread to his followers and he said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread being reminded that the gift of his life is given to us. And that gift is also a call on our lives to be given as well. Let us partake and let us be grateful in the generous grace of our God. He then took the cup and again he gave thanks to the Father and he gave the cup to the disciples saying, this is the cup of my new covenant. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. As we partake of the cup, let us be reminded, my friends, there is forgiveness and cleansing for sin, making it possible for us to live this life alive with Christ, making it possible for us to be Easter people. Let us place our faith in Jesus, the one who is our stronghold, our refuge, the one who holds us, our good shepherd. And let us be thankful as we participate in the cup together, placing our faith in him. Let us partake and be grateful. I invite you now to pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And amen. Well, my friends, I pray that as you walk into this day, you will sense that God is walking with you. And as you walk into this day, I pray you remember that you are indeed that vessel. You are that, that avenue. You are that aqueduct of the living Christ revealed to our world today. What a beautiful thing that is for us, isn't it? So I pray today that you will know the generosity of the grace of God, that he would pour out upon you his peace, his hope, his strength, so much so that it will just show in your life and that you will give yourself away for the glory of God, for the purposes of his kingdom, and that we together would be Easter people. And so, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And may the Lord grant you his shalom, his well-being, 
his generosity of grace, his wholeness, his completeness, his salvation. May the Lord grant you his peace. Amen. Now, it's a beautiful day out there today. So go out there, walk in the, out in this beautiful day, and give praise to God for his goodness to us and his goodness through us. God bless you. Have a good day.